It's a pleasure to welcome today Tim Blakesley. Tim is currently the Assistant Dean for Executive Education at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. Tim began his career as a talent development practitioner and has spent more than 30 years as a performance improvement consultant and executive coach. He's passionate about the study and practice of learning and development that is both experiential and brings impact. A couple of fun facts about Tim. He's both a private pilot and an amateur magician, where he's an associate member of Hollywood's famed Magic Castle. I've not seen Tim fly a plane, but I have seen him do development magic, pulling improved workplace performance rabbits out of learning program hats. Tim will be telling us about his magic in executive education, transforming it into learning journeys that focus on lasting on the job, improved workplace leadership behaviors and results. Tim, welcome. Tell us something, if you will, about the Marshall School and your executive education organization. Oh, thank you for that very kind introduction, Rob. And I tell you, it's a privilege to be here today. You know, I've been a devotee of your thought leadership for many years. You've impacted my career. So this is a, a true treat uh, to be able wow. to spend some time with you this morning. Thank and today. you for that. Yeah, no, you know, it's uh, interesting. USC. So for those that might be in the global audience, um, USC is a um, urban campus, beautifully situated right in the heart of downtown Los Angeles. We are Los Angeles' largest private employer. Uh, we produce over $85 billion for the state of California, both in, um, you know, services, taxes, et cetera. Um, you know, I think one of the best claims to fame to kind of show you where we believe ourselves as a university, we just received uh, the, the Green Campus Award, first in the, in the nation. All of our um, landscapers, so if you come and see our beautiful landscaping, that's all electric powered. Uh, if you come to an event, all of the uh, utensils and materials are recyclable, uh, so we believe in being a green campus. On the academic side, we have uh, seven Nobel Prize winners in our faculty, so we have world-renowned faculty. Our cinematographer, our cinema uh, school is number one in the world. Of course, that's not hard to do when you have <laughs> benefactors by the last name of uh, Spielberg and Lucas. Uh, so, you know, academically, we are very, very well received. And then, of course, not to be out down on the sports side, of course, uh, we just had another Heisman Trophy winner uh, oh, added. Wow. We are the, the, the school that's had the most Heisman Trophy winners. And if USC were a country, we would be 11th in the number of medalists at the Olympics. So, oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, all the way around, pretty prestigious place to, that I get to call uh, my workplace. Wow, that raises the bar high for you, doesn't it? It certainly does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's USC. You know, the, the Marshall School of Business is also pretty prestigious. We are the largest school on campus. We have both an undergraduate and graduate programs. Not a lot of business schools have the undergraduate. We have 14 specialty master's degrees. Uh, between faculty and staff, we have uh, 435 employees at the Marshall School. And so, again, pretty prestigious place yeah, that I get yeah. to, to go to work to every day. Sure sounds like it. Well, Tim, I know you were new to academia and sort of academic-based executive education, not executive education in general, but done through the university. So what attracted you to this role and, and what charge, why did they bring you in from outside academia? 
Yes. As you had said in your introduction, the greater part of my career was on the commercial side, 30 years in um, professional services. And this opportunity uh, came available. And I, I tell you what attracted me with is the excitement of having, you know, here we have the institution where Warren Bennis was. Mm -hmm. uh, so this thought leadership around leadership, and I'd spent my career developing leaders to get the opportunity to work with such prestigious researchers in the area of business and research. Interestingly, just as I joined the uh, exec ed department, and of course, executive education is everything non-degreed. Well, interestingly enough, we had three specialty degrees that were inculcated and grown within exec ed, a specialty master's in medicine, a specialty master's in veterans, and a specialty master's in food industry. The school decided to move those under the school proper so that they became degreed programs. Oh. Well, that opened up this space in exec ed to say, what's the future of exec ed at Marshall? And, you know, as you had said in the introduction, my passion is around learning that has impact and is experiential. And so my apologies there. We've got some pups in the background. I could bring that philosophy, that great work and mindset that I've learned from you over the years that I've been doing on the professional services side to bring some of that philosophy over yeah. to executive education. Yeah. Now, did they welcome that, Tim, or or was your your outlook a sort of a surprise to them? It was a surprise. Uh, I, of course, have an amazing team and first had to win over my team, and then we had to begin to win over the faculty. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. Well, you know, my experience with executive ed, it's somewhat dated, but I have worked at Oh, the Tuck School at Dartmouth and at Horton and all. But my experience with it is that it was a very front-loaded learning process. Exec ed participants are usually given a, a really intense, immersive experience, you know, from eight in the morning until well into the night of a dense with content, maybe a week or even more, where there's daily lectures and case study presentations and a day with the strategy prof, a day with the finance prof and so forth. And when it's over, they go off, they go back to their jobs where it's now up to them to figure out a way, what are they going to do with all this new information now that they're back? Is, is that sort of your, your take on how you found it or that was the, the traditional method? You know, I think that's pretty fair, Rob. Uh, and that that is the model and was the model that uh, yeah. fairly what you would find in most of the schools. I think COVID had a great impact on mm -hmm. exec ed's response we all had to flip that switch, right? And find yeah. ways to bring the learning online, yeah. uh, different ways of distribution. So there has been an evolution in exec ed, but I would say the state of the industry is is still pretty much what you described at the uh -huh. big schools, especially the Wardens, the Harvards. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I understand it, Tim, you're doing something pretty different. So begin to tell us about your approach and we'll dig into that. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's based on four core principles. You know, first of all, the con at the content level, we like to think of ourselves as being human centric. You know, as as AI and the digital revolution automates the repetitive part of our jobs, you know, what remains is the human factors. It's collaboration, problem solving, innovation. And then, of course, the meta skills of self-awareness, creativity, resilience, and agility. So we start with making sure that the content is what's going to help our leaders and managers and directors be successful in the first place. Okay. Secondly, we look at the delivery methodology. 
And you know from our past history, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of experiential learning. And experiential learning's been around for a long time, but I think it's fairly new uh, to the exec ed world. Yeah, I and think so. You know, so what we've done is really look at an omni-channel approach and say, what what approach does the content best lend itself? So instead of taking a, a quality time face-to-face with a faculty member in the classroom, let's offload that as being asynchronous. So if there's something they really need to learn uh, knowledge-wise, let's put that as much uh, in an asynchronous model so that that quality face-to-face time, whether it be online or in the classroom, it, with the faculty is experiential, it's case study, it's simulation. We have this beautiful place if you get to come to an in-person program called the Experiential Learning Center. Mm-hmm. That's just this amazing way to, as a laboratory to catch ourselves being in the act of being ourselves to then say, what would I do differently? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I think the third and final component, of course, is this whole notion of the high-performance learning journey. And this really sets us aside because we don't look at a day of learning or multiple days of learning. It's the whole journey that the learner goes through and the process of being able to take in that knowledge, but then ultimately turn around and use it, be able to apply it in my real world. Yeah. So those three components, you know, the the human centricity, the omni-channel or um, immersive learning, and then the high-performance learning journeys is really and, kind of what we've brought to be different and differentiated. So you really stretch that engagement out. What 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 would the length of a of a high performance learning journey in exec ed be? Just ballpark. I'm sure they vary client by client. They certainly do and it, and of course it absolutely depends on the diagnostics that we do with the client to say what are we trying to achieve here. Yeah. But you know they can last 2 months all the way to uh, we have one with some orthopedic surgeons that go 11 months. Wow, wow. Yeah, and so you can think about it, right? The the induction process is all about, what do I get out of this? What should I expect? So from the learner perspective, I do that self-assessment, self-reflection of saying, why am I engaging with this in the first place? Yeah, right? yeah. That starts that whole cohort experience with the key stakeholders that are going to help the learning environment thrive. And so it's there, it might be the person's supervisor, it might be executives in the organization, certainly their their peers and their colleagues that are part of the cohort. Then that journey continues with the actual delivery of the content, which we try to compact. It's a local client. We certainly love having them on campus. So they may come for a three-day experience. But the more important part then is is what I love, what one of our clients call are the learning sprints. Mm. Now I go back in the job in the intervening weeks and actually apply what I've learned. Uh Uh So I take it and I actually try it on and I experiment with it. Then what we've also added, Rob, is something that we call the check-ins. And in this situation, we have, you know, a faculty director who kind of oversees the program and does the golden knitting Mm-hmm. Uh, like you had mentioned, you know, in the beginning, you have your strategy professor, your uh, leadership professor. Well, this faculty director makes sure that that all gets tied together and that there's a golden thread. But in these check-ins, what the professor is doing is using something we call the PPP, the personal performance plan. And I can talk about more about that in a moment, where I've identified those things that I want to get out of this program well, what these check-ins allow is the, the faculty directors say, how's it going? 
Uh, where, uh, what's working? Where are you getting stuck? Yeah. How are you going to do it differently if it's not working for you? Uh, so that, again, there's this application before they come back to yet another session in person, take on some more learning. Then we go through that process again. The intervening weeks are all about application cycles and practice. Wow. wow. So, you know, it sounds that you're the way you define impact, Tim, from learning and development is is really not just learning something new, but actually doing something new with your learning, applying the learning in some strategic way that will make a positive difference to their organization goals. So if I'm understanding your approach, it's just a part of it that's the content, but the bulk of it is stretching out the application. Um, I think is, that, is that right? Is the balance leaning toward doing things, reflecting, doing some more things, and reflecting and doing some more? I think that's right, Rob. And I think this goes back to one of your previous questions about traditional executive education and what we're doing differently. I think, you know, traditionally the exec ed department is just seen as the logistics uh, we'll schedule the room, we'll schedule yeah. the catering. What we are is the partner with the faculty. So the faculty come in and and bring their expertise, their thought leadership. We're the partner then that helps the client and the participants take that and have it be meaningful. Mm -hmm. And so there's this partnership between what we do in exec ed, the client and the faculty to make sure that there is this connection with the content and then it's landing for each of those individual participants. Well, it, it sounds like to me, Tim, that, that, um, I mean, if I were a participant in a traditional exec ed program, my accountability is to show up, pay attention, be a good participant. It sounds like here, the, there's an expectation that people are going to do something with it and do more than one thing with it. They're going to go through several, several cycles of doing things with it. Do you find that this partnership does that enhance the accountability on the on the performer side to uh, get that stuff done? It sounds like there's really no place to hide if I if I wanted to cruise through the program lazily. I think it increases accountability on all sides, on all stakeholders that have an investment in any program that we partner on. So it increases the accountability from the faculty perspective to truly understand oh, yeah. what the participants in the organization is trying to accomplish. It impacts my team and the staff because it involves making sure that we set up the learning environment that's, you know, uh, set up properly. But then you're absolutely spot on from the participant perspective. I don't just show up and take notes and this was a great time to get away from the office. I'm being accountable and held expected to do something back with my team my boss, the organization level, wow. uh, that this is going to have, you know, performance impact. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it sure sounds like that. And I mean, everybody wants there to be an action plan at the end of a, of a learning intervention. But it seems so often the process stops with the after I've done my action plan, it's OK, Tim, thanks. I'll, I'll get busy on this and see you later. But we on the teaching side really sort of never know what happens. It sounds like you've got a, a pretty structured process in place to make sure that there are repeated cycles of application. Can you and you mentioned something called a, a program performance path, a PPP that a tool you use. Can you talk about how do you how do you make sure that this structured process is part of the deal? You know, you know, thank you. And of course, I have you to thank for a lot of this. <laughs> Again, being a devotee of of your thought leadership and of course Kurt Patrick's four levels. 
you know, as a practitioner, what had always frustrated me, um, and for those that may not know Kirkpatrick, of course, level one is you just measure, did they like the food and the con and the, you know, am I happy, the satisfaction? Uh, number two is, did I learn something new? Yeah. Level three and four were always the hard ones to attack, which are level three is, did I change behavior as a result of learning something new? And then, of course, level four is, and then did it ultimately carry on and have impact for the organization? Yeah. So what your your performance plan uh, that you introduced to the world, this personal performance plan, we can imagine a sheet, a single sheet. This is part of what I love about it is it's efficient, it's effective, all in one page. It's divided into four columns. On the very far right-hand side, this is where great work with a client or an individual, if, if it's a one-on-one -on -one program, if it's open enrollment, you know, what, what are the expectations of the organization? What does the organization said is the most important things the next this next year or whatever period that is mm -hmm. that we need to address in our organization, whether it be customer satisfaction, increased EBITDA, whatever that is, right? Wow. We start yeah. the organizational goals. Okay. If I move to the left, the column immediately to the left then is what am I on the hook for to get to those goals of the organization? As a participant, you mean, what are you? Yeah. As a participant, what have my boss and I agreed to are my KPIs, my goals, whatever you call them in your organization. Yeah. What are my achievables for that same period that the organization has to achieve? Okay. okay. Now we move to the left one more column. We get a little more granular. And this is probably my favorite column <laughs> uh, from a learning perspective is, and I love it, the original term I think ultimately came from Deloitte, the moments that matter. Mm -hmm. Right. As I show up on a daily basis in my workplace, what are the things that I do at a behavioral level that have impact for my team, whether it be my peers, my boss, achieving my goals, those moments that matter? It might be coaching conversations. It might be project management. It might be being good at, you know, uh, analyzing a budget. Would Whatever be, those, would, yeah. Would it maybe the time that I have to organize my team and and make the strategy clear to them, and we or, that might be another moment that matters. I guess that totally yeah. might be a moment. If I'm in sales, it might be prospecting. It might be better at getting at resolving objections. Okay, those are those individualized. This is how we customize a program, because now if I can get a participant to articulate, here are the moments where I show up that matter to me and the organization, these are the things I'd like to work on. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, then that leaves us, of course, the final and fourth column to the left, which are learning objectives. Uh -huh. Here's what the program is designed to do. And now I can see this line of sight from what the program is about, the objectives. Here's how it's going to impact my moments that matter, how I can get better at these. That's going to have an impact on my performance and my goals. Yeah. Ultimately, we should assume then that that leads to wow. organizational wow. change. Fascinating. It's as as we know, most that left hand column, which for you is the starting point, is what, what people are going to take away in learning. That's often the end point that we would, if we were selling a program to a client, would be. So you've sort of stretched that horizon well beyond the classroom door to the, um, not just to what I'm gonna do as a participant differently and maybe the KPI that I'm gonna make the most progress on, but also um, you've kind of, I can see when, if you've, if you've taken that performance path to your customer, 
you're accountable for more than just delivering the learning, aren't you? You're accountable for actually making a contribution to their whatever they put in that right-hand column. You know, and at the end of the day, that feels a lot better than saying I had X number of butts and seats of learning, right? Yeah. It, as a consultant, it's and as a as a true practitioner of learning and lifelong learning, I have a better at the end of the day saying I helped somebody achieve something. I helped an organization yeah. achieve. Yeah. You know, and I would also add, you'd said about normally most learning practitioners start on that left column. What are the learning objectives? What I love is we start with the customer, with the mm-hmm. participant, at starting by starting on that right side. Okay. What do we want the outcomes to be? Where do we want to achieve is mm-hmm. a much better place than saying, hey, I've got this great program on strategy. Right. Well, and that must guide then your customization because you're not you're not saying to the client, well, look, there's five things we can teach your people. That's what we're really good at here. We got the faculty behind it. Now, which of those appeal to you and which would you like? You're saying, no, if your goal is to drive some increased market share in this opening new market, let's talk about who needs to do what to get there and then what new skills do they need? And that's where your learning comes in. Yeah. And that's step one in the customization, right? It would be with our, our key L&D person or the executive But then we get to customize a second time with that PPP because the actual participant can say, you know, yes, and I need to learn strategy. But specifically in my part of the organization, here's where I struggle with strategy. Okay. So now the PPP gives me a snapshot that says not only are we have we customized the program to fit the organization, but down to the individual level, I can identify my key learnings. And here's where I really need to pay attention in the program. Yeah. So it's really beyond customized. It's personalized to that, to each person's workplace and what they need from it. So given that you've got all of that stuff happening in the workplace and they're trying some new things out, is there a coach involved in this or is the faculty, you mentioned check-ins. So what if I'm out there and I said, geez, I've been trying to, I've been trying to make this strategy clear. Taking my, I'm struggling with it. I've got a meeting coming up next week. Help me, help. <laughs> Does that happen in your program? Absolutely. You know, and this is this is where the learning journey really. I think we do a, a very good job at the middle. The content uh, we're we're pretty good at the beginning of getting people. Why am I showing up and building that PPP? What coaching does is really help with the back in the organization. To You had said earlier, right, that uh, oftentimes the end of the program is let's create an action plan. And then as the, the L&D folks, we don't ever see what happens with that. Well, right. by offering a coach uh, to individuals, now we can go into the workplace with them. And the check-ins are nice, but at, at some point, the faculty have to go on and do other programs. Yeah. Now you get this personal one-on-one coach that I, wow, it's been two months. And I really thought I understood it when Professor, uh, you know, uh, Bavardi uh, said this about strategy. But when I went back and tried it, this didn't quite work. And here's what happened when I tried it with my people. That coach can actually help the participant think through, work through, and get down into the nuances of taking it back and making it practical. Well, Tim, that's just got to be this this whole process you've got in place just has to be impactful. Um, but it also honestly sounds 
pretty complicated. <laughs> I mean, you're really individualizing the experience. And um, I mean, I know as a faculty member, when I worked in some executive ed, my responsibility was pretty much to show up on time, deliver my stuff and see you later. Bye bye. But this is this is a complicated process. How do you who manages all of this and how do they do it and how do people respond to that? Uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, this is where that partnership comes in again, right? So faculty are busy folks, um, and we do rely on them to mostly be the experts, the subject matter experts. This is where that partnership that I was talking about comes in. This is where ExecN really kicks into high gear, and we take on the responsibility of helping that participant with the learning journey. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's two things. I, I mentioned before, I have a phenomenal team. They have all been through a certification process in this notion of the learning journey, the high-performance learning journey. So first of all, I had to get their hearts and their minds bought into yeah. a customer-centric approach that says, we don't just deliver programs in a classroom or online, we're here to engage with the participants. So I it, it wouldn't happen if I didn't have a team right. that was bought in yeah. and really serviced this, this high-performance learning journey. The other part is what I'd said about automation, right? You automate yeah. the repetitive, and we wouldn't be able to do it without a platform, a learning platform okay. that really services this notion of the learning journey. Now, I suspect that if we have learning folks listening to this podcast, they're going to say, oh, he's talking an LMS. And yeah. what yeah. concerned me about most LMSs is their design from the learning L&D department's point of view versus the participant's point of view. Mm. What I really appreciate about the platform that we use is it used design thinking. So it put the learner first. And so what that means is that this, this learning platform is a very easy to use. It, it builds on all the things around the learning journey that I talked about, that it's social, um, that it's, you know, a journey. So yeah. you need to be able to see where I'm going on this journey, but through the platform, it doesn't become overwhelming. As I said, that 11-month program, you could be like, oh my gosh, really? I've, I don't have time for this. Yeah. The platform helps the, the, the learner take it in learnable chunks and it builds on itself. And then there's also some gamifications so that I can see where my colleagues are at. It has a social media component. So it's not just a learning platform, but it's one that's been designed with this whole learning journey concept in mind. Okay, okay. Now, what I know about platforms like the one you're using, the Promote platform and other they call learning experience platforms, is that they not only direct and steer the experience, but that they capture data um, about uh, who did what, what actions were taken, what results, if any, were observed. Does, does yours work that way? Does this enable you? You mentioned your Kirkpatrick levels of evaluation does this enable you to pull some data to show to clients about impact and what's happening and what's changing it absolutely can and that comes down to how you design the program right so first of all of course we can capture all those ppps yeah so we can show the moments that matter and how behavior change occurred we have the social media component to show that learning, you know, if we're thinking of level one and two, that learning did take place, that they're actually engaging with the learning. You can also use the social media part for level three 
when, hey, I used it here and here's the result that I got with my team. I had a exec, I had to give an executive presentation. I used something that I learned in the program. The executives liked so much what I had to say based upon the theory that I gave them. Uh, they decided to go in a direction they hadn't considered. So that's one way we can capture yeah. it. And then another way is, of course, through uh, the coaching outcomes. Uh, we, of course, don't betray any confidences, but right. the coaches can plug in information into the system that says, here are some results that you know came out of that I'm aware of through the coaching uh, component wow. of it. Wow. Wow. So yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question to say, yes, the platform definitely enables us to be a, a partner to the client to say, here's the return on yeah. investment that you're getting from, you know, a, a yeah. complex program. Well, that's got to be a great boon to them and, and reassure them. And that's good stuff to know that they're getting the uh, impact they expect. But I would guess that it also enables you, uh, I'm sure that impact isn't level across the whole program. It must enable you to see if red flags pop up you can get in and do a little more coaching here a little more steering there do you use it in that way as well absolutely spot yeah. on yeah yeah you know the platform as well as those check-ins with the faculty with the uh, faculty director on those check-ins the sprints yeah. it really does make the learning journey agile that we can be responsive in the moment so you get a lot of leading indicators instead of lagging indicators okay yeah so over that 11 month learning journey, you're you're tweaking the learning journey, it sounds like. Yeah. Immediate response to any feedback that we get. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Tim, I think I'm struck by the fact that on the face of it, extending the journey over several months has huge impact and value. But it I would think on the face of it, it might freak a client out and say, it looks more costly. Um, you're going to take our highly paid executives. And not just give them a week away, but now you're talking six months of engagement. But it strikes me that the, the I guess the 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 reality of that objection is that the larger percent of of your learning journey happens on the job, doing where people are would are doing the things they'd be doing at work anyway. They're just trying to do them a little better. So it's actually embedded in the work those executives are doing. Am I am I seeing that correctly? That that's sort of the the, the counter to the notion that it really isn't more costly in time because people doing what they're going to be doing anyway. Yeah, I think you've captured that exactly uh, right, Rob. It's not elongating the learning where we're in the classroom all of that time. The elongation wow. comes in the practical application and practice. Wow. And you you nailed it. It's they would be doing that anyway. Uh -huh. What we're doing is capturing in a collaborative way, how is that application going? So what used to be dark, now we've put a spotlight on uh, to be able to see into. And it, and it goes back to what you said too. If if it's not quite working, we're there to support and help yeah. you to, you know, because it would be very easy to give up on, as you and I well know, changing behavior. I try something, if it didn't work, I'm going to go back to the way that I did it. So now we're, we're there to be at those times to be the support mechanism yeah. to say, ah, I, I see where, where you're struggling. Let's try yeah. this, let's try this nuance. But that doesn't add cost because it's back to your point. Yeah. I would have yeah. been doing my work anyway. Yeah. yeah, I really love your the metaphor you used there about shining the light. I mean, it is sort of true. I think that we send somebody to training, then there's this sort of dark box while they're maybe working, maybe using it in their job, maybe not. And then 
a result happens or not, but you've shined a light in there. You can, you've kind of um, uncovered the mechanism that's creating the value and you can tweak it and direct it. Tim, I, I, I just think it's pretty evident that you've not just evolved executive education in some innovative ways, but you've revolutionized it. You've taken it to a new paradigm away from just learning from the experts to an approach that focuses on real time performance improvement not just hoping they do things better, but ensuring that they do. I want to thank you for your time today. Been most enlightening, and I'm using that term on purpose after your comment. And I'm sure listeners have valued this conversation and many will probably want to learn more. And we look forward to staying in touch with you because I, I know this is a growing growing effort and um, it's going to go new places yet. Well, Anything you. you want to add that I didn't ask you about before we go? Well, I, I really appreciate those very kind words about uh, evolutionary and revolutionary. We, of course, don't have it all perfect. Um, we're learning and growing each time we work with a client. We're learning new nuances about the learning journey. And we appreciate our clients for that, that they're willing to experiment and go on these journeys with us. Yeah. And so I don't want to leave this podcast thinking that, you know, we've solved the world's problems, uh, but we certainly are pleased that we're getting to try these new things with our clients and and we are seeing results as a result of it well i appreciate that that humility that's um well put thanks for your time tim and i'm i know we'll be getting in touch later thank you robin be well